Last week, we talked about the idea that the gospel gives us permission to love ourselves. We said the gospel <laughs> almost demands that we love ourselves um, because, you know, we've, we've heard John three sixteen since we were a kid. Um, but, you know, we've heard it, but sometimes we haven't really heard it because it said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. See, he loved the world. Okay, now you got to stop there for a moment because the love of God loves what is unlovely, what looks unlovable. <laughs> you know, when 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 God says he 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 makes beauty out of ashes. You have to realize that he doesn't have a problem with ashes. Okay? The things that are lowborn, the things that we would say are trashy, <laughs> the things that, you know, the, the worse the situation, it says where sin does abound, where sin is the worst, grace much more abounds. So, God's love is attracted to the unloved, unloved to, the, to the very object that is rejecting him or doesn't know him, right? And it says, while we were yet sinners, Jesus died. You know, there's a scripture, and I'll, I read it a little bit last week, but I read it again. Let me get there. Talks about how, you know, dying for a righteous person, you know, someone might do. It says here in Romans 5, 7. Let me go back in one. It says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. I'm reading a different one, different translation. It says in the New Living Translation, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at the right time and died for us sinners. Very rarely, it's a rare thing, in other words, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. It says, now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person. It says, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Okay, this is God's demonstration of love for you, love for me, love for every human being on the planet. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Right? God loves 
sinners. You could say, for God so loved sinners. (laughs) God loves sinners. Now here's what it says though. Since we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Okay, now that means God's anger, right? It says, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more now having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life. Okay, so this whole point here is that God doesn't, God embraces us. I mean, comes to us at our most ugly. And he's not intimidated. He's not He's not, he can't turn his face. He can't, he can't look upon sin. He can't look upon the unholy. No, no, no. That's where he demonstrates his love for us. That's where he goes and finds the ashes. That's where he gets his raw material to make something beautiful. He made you who, were, who was a sinner into right into into now a person who is righteous and so my point with all of this is to say is that you don't have a scriptural right to not love yourself because god has declared you lovable and he declared you lovable before you did anything to be lovable It's not a performance-based love. It's not based upon your performance because when your performance was the worst, he died for you. And so he is not a schizophrenic God who loves you more when you're acting good and releases his wrath when you're acting bad. No, his love is perfect and he loves you as much right this moment as you are ever going to be loved he's not going to love you more when you die and you go to heaven and you manifest perfection and he didn't love you less before you knew him because while you were a sinner Jesus died for you and he demonstrated his love in this and so the gospel gives us permission to begin to embrace ourselves, to begin to embrace the parts of us even that we don't like, the parts of us that we tend to reject because there is no part of you that has been rejected. Rejection is not your portion. Rejection is not your inheritance. You are accepted in the beloved. You are accepted into the family of God. And the family of God begins with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you were baptized into Christ. You were placed inside of him. Matter of fact, the scripture tells us in Romans chapter 6, if I go there, that 
there is such an identity, your true identity, your identification now is Jesus Christ himself. Okay, now here's what it says. Verse three in, in Romans six, it says, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So there's this identification here that says that we were buried, we, were, we died with Christ, we were buried with Christ, and then we were raised with Christ to a new life. And this new life is a it is you being the beloved. It is you being the chosen loved. You are the chosen and you are loved. And you are loved perfectly from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. This love is so powerful that fear cannot, cannot, cannot exist in its presence. Perfect love casts out fear. I mean, it is perfect light. It is perfect love. It is perfect peace. It is perfect acceptance. It is perfection itself. And you are loved with a perfect love. You are perfectly loved. And this perfect love has nothing to do with how you are acting. And it doesn't change. It's unmovable. It's unshakable. It is absolutely unchangeable. It is eternal love. And it does not fail. It never fails. It never weakens. And it, when we went last week, I'll, I'll do it again because it's just so powerful. You know, in 1 Corinthians 13, it describes the love of God. You know, this is, this is the love which with God loves you. Okay, God loves you. With, this is describing God's perfect, perfect love love. Now I'm going to read it in the message translation just because it's a really um, kind of a poetic, very, very straightforward translation. Um, it says this, love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Obviously that's demonstrated in the cross. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. It doesn't strut. It doesn't have a swelled head. It doesn't force itself on others. It isn't always me first. It doesn't fly off the handle. It's not easily angered is another way that that's translated. It doesn't lose its temper. God doesn't lose his temper. It doesn't keep score of the sins of others. So he's not keeping score of your sin. It doesn't revel when others grovel. It takes pleasure in following, in the flowering of the truth. It always trusts. It always looks for the best. It never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Love never dies. Okay, there's a, let me just read it in a different translation here. A few things here. It says love is patient. Okay? God's love is patient with you. You haven't exhausted his patience. He's not exasperated with you. He's not irritated with you. 
because you didn't get it all right. He's, love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It's not irritable and it keeps no record of wrongs. There's no record of your wrong behavior in God's heart. He's not Santa making a list and checking it twice. Going to find out who's naughty or nice, right? I was listening to Christmas music today, decorating our Christmas tree. And it was like, you know, you better watch out. You better not, you know, don't you cry. Don't you pout, you know. It's like, holy crap, Santa is a, is a very performance-driven gift giver. You know what I'm saying? Like, he only gives gifts to the good ones, you know? He's like a, he, he finds the Pharisees and gives them gifts, you know? I'm like, thank God Jesus isn't, doesn't have a Santa suit, you know? But no, you know, it's you. But the truth is that's a lot of times, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to accept because our whole life we've lived in such a performance-based world where, you know, you're promor- you're, we're promoted based on our performance. We have, uh, you know, annual reviews, performance reviews at work. We have grades. We have the honors classes. I mean, everything is a performance-based, we live in a performance-based world. But God does not, is not relating to you. His relationship with you is a performance-free relationship. He is the safest pl- person on the planet. And you, in your failure, in your, in your, the place where you've really, really blown it, you know, you just blew it, you know, he is not abandoning you. He is not upset with you even, right? He is right there with you. He is called the paraclete. He is the helper. He is the standby. He is your intercessor. He is the encourager. He is, he's always got an encouraging word for you. I mean, in your failure, and this is, this is the place, it's only really in failure that you can learn the love of God. Because it's kind of like dying for a righteous man. You know, if you, you know it's easy to, love, easy to love us when we've got it all together, right? But th- the point is, God's love for you, the way he loves you, gives you permission to form the same kind of relationship with yourself. And he wants that for you because the problem is if you're still beating yourself up and having a performance-based relationship with your relationship with yourself, then you aren't living out of your true identity as the loved because you are not relating to yourself as who you are. And you are precious. You are his baby child, his baby girl, his baby boy. He is, he is you know... And truthfully, the only reason you're messing up at all is because of your stinking thinking. And the Father knows that. Jesus knows this. The Holy Spirit knows that you don't have a problem in the world except a, except a thinking problem. You know, as every stronghold in our lives is a thinking problem. And some of them have been programmed in us for so long See, love is patient. Love is patient. He's patient with, the, with you as your mind gets renewed. He's patient with you as, as you mess up for the 20th 
millionth time because of this stupid thinking problem that you have. And he is an expert at, at telling you the truth, the truth that you need to hear, the truth that you need to know so that you can change your mind, so that you can walk in freedom, so that you can believe the gospel, so that you can believe and agree with him that you are worthy of the blood of God, that you are worthy of God dying a, a horrendously painful and, and shameful, shameful death he, he, you know, he, for you. He doesn't, and, and that we now, because he died for us, but he didn't just die for us, he died as us. And he wants you to know that you have nothing to be ashamed of ever again. Because whatever you're ashamed of, whatever you are, are is holding you in that place of, embarrassment and shame and frustration with yourself. Well, he bore that for you. He became that. And he, all you need is a revelation that it doesn't belong to you anymore. That you have been made new. And he wants to show you, you. You know, and I know this, when you're at your worst, that there's no better, that's the best place. Because it's, it's the place where you meet the real Jesus. It's the place where he shows up and he's too good to be true. Like who else on the planet comes to that place of shame, that place of darkness, that place of, of, of condemnation and that place of deserving whatever consequences may come, of, of you, you've, you've blown it royally. But Jesus comes in that place. How do we know? Because that's what he did to the prodigal son. He comes to that place, to the undeserving, to the shameful, to the blatant screw up. (laughs) And he comes to that one and he says, oh, no, 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 you're a royal son. And you have authority in my house. And you have shoes of, of the wealthy. And you have a robe that belongs to the wealthy. You are righteous. No, no, I get it. I get that you haven't acted righteous at all. I get that you've been with the pigs. I get that you've been blowing your money on stupid stuff. I get it that you've been with the prostitutes or you've been sexually dishonoring your body. I get that you have, you know, not taken care of yourself, that you have abused yourself with substances. But I'm telling you, in this place right here, you don't know me because I see you. And I see, I don't, I don't care what you have been doing. What you have been doing doesn't matter. It doesn't change who you are. You are still and will forever be my child. And there is nothing that you can do that will change it. And I get it, the religious spirit that accuses you and tries to get you to earn what already belongs to you is loud. 
But don't you get in agreement with the elder brother. Don't you get in agreement with that voice in your head that accuses you, with that demonic spirit, the accuser of the brethren, who stands before the Father day and night accusing those who have been acquitted, accusing those who have been declared not guilty. And this not guilty verdict is an eternal verdict. You can't be made guilty when you've been acquitted. You can't be tried again for a crime that's already been, uh, the, the, the term has been served. The death sentence was administered to Jesus Christ. And he was killed, he was crucified for you. And there is nothing you can do about it because it's already done. And it was done from God's perspective before the foundation of the world. You were chosen in love before the foundation of the world. You were picked before you knew you were rejected. You were picked before you knew you had a problem. You were declared righteous before you knew what the word meant. And now... The only thing that's left to do is renew your mind to that. It's to get your brain in agreement. It's, it's, It's for you to put on the robe of righteousness and for you to get those little shoes on and, and, and get your ring and wear your garments. You have been washed. You have been cleansed. And now you need to stand up in the new life. Stand up on this side of the cross. Stand up as a resurrected human, as a recreated in Jesus Christ human being. And and just believe the gospel. Believe the gospel. Believe the gospel. Repentance is not about saying you're sorry for messing up. Repentance is about getting in agreement with the idea that you are a son. It's about getting in agreement with that you have authority, that you are royalty, that you are an heir by birth, by new birth. You are an heir. You are a joint heir with Jesus. You have been made one with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You are in now in Christ. You live and move and have your being inside of God and you are lovable. And frankly, you were lovable while you were a sinner. So how much more now? I mean, really, you're you're not, you're not being loved even though you were as a sinner. You were loved. But now you're a son. And the same love that the father has for Jesus is the love that he has for you. In John chapter um, 14, I tell you, I encourage you guys to read John chapter 14. I, I can't get out of it. And I've been reading it in the Passion, which is really messing me up. I can't see this very good, but I'm going to try. I brought it. Uh, maybe I'll read it on my, I got it on my computer. It's easier to see. Um, let me get in here into John. And I'm going to read John 14. It's so good. And, and I believe that this is one of Jesus' best 
uh, discussions about the gospel. Because a lot of times when Jesus was teaching and preaching, and granted, this was just to his disciples, you know, he was just kind of teaching hyper law. You know, like, unless your, your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will no way enter into the kingdom of God. Well, was he really saying that you were going to have to be perfect? Like, your behavior was going to have to be more perfect than the Pharisees for you to get into heaven. Like, he was preaching a performance-based, law-based gospel. No, he was pointing the way to the idea that it was impossible for you, based on your performance, to get into heaven. But here, in John 14, he's, he's doing a beautiful job of, of, of sharing the purpose of the gospel. And I just want to read this to you. It says, don't worry, I love this, or surrender to your fear. For you've believed in God. Now trust and believe in me also. My father's house has many dwelling places. If it were otherwise, I would tell you plainly. Because I go to prepare a place for you to rest. And when everything is ready, I will come back and take you into me. So that you will be where I am. Isn't that just so powerful? It says, when the time, when everything is ready, I will come back and take you into me so that you will be where I am. There's a footnote here, and I just want to read this. It says, another translation says, or take you to myself. So it says, his going was to die, his coming into us. His going to die was his coming into us. I'm sorry. Now we are in him. And then it refers back to verse 20. So let me, I'll go back to verse, we'll look at that in a moment. It says, I will come back and take you into me so that you will be where I am. And you already know the way to the place that I'm going. Thomas said to him, Master, we don't know where you're going. So how could we know the way there? Jesus explained, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. No one comes next to the Father except through union with me. Now I'm going to read a little footnote here too because there's, there's some of these are so good. I love this one. It says, Jesus does more than take us to heaven. He brings us next to alongside of the Father. Now listen to this phrase. The Father is the destination. God, that's good. It says, to know me is to know my Father too. And from now on, you will realize that you have seen him and experienced him. Philip spoke up, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be all that we need. Jesus replied, Philip, I've been with you all this time, and you still don't know who I am. How could you ask me to show you the Father? For anyone who has looked at me has seen the Father. Don't you believe that the Father is living in me and that I am living in the Father? Even my words are not my own, but come from the Father. For he lives in me and performs his miracles of power through me. Believe that I live as one with my Father and that my Father lives as one with me. Or at least believe because of the mighty miracles I've done. I tell you this timeless truth. Now listen to this. Timeless truth. The person who follows 
me in faith, believing in me, will do the same mighty miracles that I do. Even greater miracles than these because I go to be with my father. For I will do whatever you ask me to do when you ask me in my name. And that is how the son will show what the father is really like and bring glory to him. Ask me anything in my name and I will do it for you. Okay, I'm just going to keep going. Loving me empowers you to obey my commands and I will ask the father and he will give you another savior, the Holy Spirit of truth, who will be to you a friend just like me and he will never leave you. The world won't receive him because they can't see him or know him, but you will know him intimately because he will make his home in you and will live inside you. I promise that I will never leave you helpless or abandon you as orphans. I will come back to you. Soon I will leave this world and they will know, they will see me no longer, but you will see me because I will live again and you will come alive too. He's preaching the gospel here, guys. He says, so when that day comes, you will know that I am living in the Father. And listen to this and that you are one with me, for I will be living in you. Those who truly love me are those who obey my commandments. Whoever passionately loves me will be passionately loved by my Father, and I will passionately love you in return and manifest my life within you. Now, I'm going to go one other place here, and this is in John 15, and it says... I love each of you in verse nine with the same love that the father loves me. Let my love nourish your hearts. Now, I love that. I mean, Jesus is saying here, I mean, he's telling this to his disciples pre-cross. We're hearing the message post-cross. Right? We're hearing it through the testimony of the disciples that have gone down through the ages. But so this is true for us. I mean, you can't despise what God has cleansed. You know, don't call yourself something that God doesn't call you. You know, he told um, Peter when he was you know, up on the rooftop and went into a trance and he had the the vision of the unclean animals and the sheet coming down and he kept telling him to eat, to eat, to eat. And and Peter said, no, Lord, I've never had anything unclean touch my lips. I could not eat of these unclean animals. And, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but Jesus said, talking about the Gentiles, that those those, those animals were representing non-Israelites, people that were outside of the covenant of Abraham. And he said this to Peter, he said, do not call unclean that which I have cleansed. So he was telling Peter, don't call the Gentiles dirty. Do not call the Gentiles unclean. And, and here you are in Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, cleansed by the blood of the lamb, and yet we 
are not kind to ourselves too much in the way that we think about ourselves. We, we relate to ourselves in a version of ourselves that is not the true version of who you are. It is not who you are in Christ. It's not who you were recreated in Christ to be. And my point, I'm going to go back to it again, is that the gospel gives you permission to accept yourself, to love yourself, and to like yourself, and to have good self-esteem. Because you are a son, because you are an heir, because you are royalty. You know, I can't imagine that, that the royal family from the, you know, in England... That, you know, they are trained from a very, very young age on how nobility acts, on what it means to be royalty, how you carry yourself, how you speak, how you interact. There's protocols for everything. And in the kingdom, as a child, in Christ, we are called to live one with God, totally in communion with God. And the truth of the matter is, you are, it's a finished deal. Your union with God is completed, and it's not based upon whether or not you feel it. It's not based on whether or not you perceive it. Matter of fact, if you believe it, you will see it. If you believe it, you will perceive it. And just the simple resting in it will cause the manifestation of it. When you try to get it, you're missing that you already have it. You're not seeking God. You've been found. Right? You're not, you're not trying to get something that you don't already have. You are simply acknowledging it. You know, there's an old scripture in, in, the, in the Old Testament, in Proverbs chapter 3, that says, you know, don't lean on your, trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. But in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Well, in the, is a, for a new covenant believer, for a, for a new creation, acknowledging God is acknowledging who he is in you. It's acknowledging his proximity to you, which is he's wearing your skin. You know, there's another really powerful scripture in Philemon that talks about how our faith actually becomes effectual as we acknowledge all of the good things that are in us in Christ Jesus. Uh, I'll read it to you in a couple of different translations. Let me, um, so it's in verse six, and I'm just gonna go um, there in a couple of different uh, translations. Okay. In New Living Translation, it says, I'm praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith. Okay, so this is Paul really encouraging them that at some point they're going to be really generous people. (laughs) But it says here, as you understand and experience all of the good things we have in Christ. It says, I I pray (coughs) that the sharing of your faith becomes effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. I pray that your partnership in the faith may become effective as you fully acknowledge every good thing that is ours in Christ. So that the fellowship of your faith might become effective in the acknowledgement of every good thing that is in you in Christ. 
So we are to acknowledge the good things that are in us in Christ. Okay, we need to, it's like Abraham. Um, It says that he, well, Jesus too, it says he despised the shame. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, meaning he had to set his focus on the joy of the new creation. And he just had to ignore the shame. Okay, he had to ignore the trial, ignore the, the, the problem, right? And set his focus on the joy. Abraham, it says, that um, he grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, that he did not consider the impotence of his own body. So this, you and I are not to acknowledge all of the bad things that are in the you that was crucified. We don't sit around and acknowledge all of our, our junk, now, I'm not saying that, the point is, I'm not saying that you're in denial necessarily, but I'm saying that you're not focused on it as your identity. If anything, when you do mess up, you're simply acting out of character. If you would begin to relate to yourself, like, wait a second, I'm acting out of character. Or, I need to learn some skills or I need to learn, like just recently I've been really recognizing and praying into the, the idea that I'm, I want to do a, <clears throat> just a conflict resolution workshop at some point. I'll probably bring some, some stuff into um, our Emerge class, but just even more so than that. And this really is, is coming out of my junior higher, Sneed. Um, because really those skills most of us didn't learn. And I'll tell you what, junior high is brutal. And if you don't know, I mean, and not just that. I mean, I read a story the other day about a 10-year-old. A 10-year-old that got in a fight on the playground and three days later hung themselves. A 10-year-old. I was just reading it on the internet the other day. Talk about not having conflict resolution skills, okay? But my point there is not about that. It's to say you may need to learn a new skill. You may need to learn how to communicate. You may need to learn how to set boundaries. You may need to learn how to be like God. You may learn to have to learn how to think like God, right? You, to, you may have to, you, we have to renew our minds, develop some skills, learn new ways of thinking, for sure. But our focus is not to be on what we lack. You know, I remember the Lord telling me years ago, I, re- I don't know, I was focused on what was wrong with me, what was wrong with me, what was wrong with me. And God said, why, the, why don't you just think about what is right with you? Because there's an awful lot right with you. And I paid the ultimate price to make it right for you. So maybe you would just honor me a little bit. Maybe it would just honor me a little bit if you would start focusing on what I did for you and who I made you to be in me. I think, number one, it would, you would really, we'd have a much better day. And so I, I just, it's, it's, this, it's this idea that you're, you have permission to love yourself. You have permission to embrace the process that you are in right now of learning to think with the mind of Christ. You can embrace the journey knowing that you are a revelation away 
from another level of manifestation of sonship. And Jesus loves revealing himself. The Holy Spirit loves giving you experiences with truth. And he's not frustrated that you hadn't got it yet. Right? I mean, I remember, I mean, you know, on different occasions where I'd just be like, oh my goodness, the enemy's eating my lunch. Jesus, how is he eating my lunch? He's just taking my lunch and eating it, and I'm just, just sitting here with nothing. You know, and, and he'll, he'll tell us. The Holy Spirit, it says, Jesus said, I will send you another Savior. So guess what? You needing a Savior is not a problem. You needing a deliverer is not a problem. I'm going to send you one. He's going to be with you. He's going to live in you. And he's going to lead and guide you into all truth. It says this. Back in John 14, it says, mm, that's not where I want to go. Let me go to John 16. Okay. Here it is, Jesus said, there's so much more I'd like to say to you, but it's more than you can grasp at this moment. But when the truth-giving spirit comes, the Holy Spirit He will unveil the reality of every truth within you. He won't speak his own message, but only what he hears from the Father. And he will reveal prophetically to you what is to come. He will glorify me on earth, for he will receive from me, Jesus, what is mine and reveal it to you. Everything that belongs to the Father belongs to me. That's why I say that. I love this name for the Holy Spirit. The divine encourager will receive what is mine and reveal it to you. And so the ministry of the Holy Spirit, he is patient, he's kind, he's gentle. He's a teacher. He enjoys his job. And so he's the one that is is encouraging you to be you to acknowledge the good things that are in you in Christ Jesus and to make peace with yourself. Make peace with yourself. And the reason you can do that is because the judge himself has made peace with you. The one who has the power to judge the only one, truthfully, the only one that holds the power of judgment. Now, I get it that people judge all the time, but God's judgment, he's the judge. God's the judge. And he, you've, been, you've been acquitted. You have, you've, not only have you got peace with the judge, you're, you got placed inside the judge. You live and move and have your being in the judge. And so that judgment, that, that it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's got to go. Because that, my friend, will keep you from experiencing the truth of who you are. Because you... By not acknowledging all the good things in Jesus, you will be in agreement with a version of you that has been crucified. 
the person you don't like has been crucified. But even so, before they were crucified, God loved them. So that means that you are commanded (laughs) to love. We're commanded to love the world. We're commanded to love those that are undeserving. And it starts with you. And it's the missing piece many times in our mental health, in our emotional health, and in our physical health. Because our relationship with ourself, the way we treat ourselves, affects our minds, it affects our emotions, it affects our bodies. Amen? Amen. We've got just a few minutes, so is there any questions, thoughts, comments? Oh, good. Good. Well, we, we also upload it on a podcast, so if you ever need to hear it again, <clears throat> you, might, you can download it on your phone and listen to it again, because this is a message that we need to hear over and over and over again, because we've been living with that self-talk forever. The accuser, it says day and night. Day and night, the accuser accuses. Day and night. I mean, this is, it's a relentless barrage. And, and we need to hear the gospel over and over and over again, and we need to preach it to ourselves. <laughs> we need to get a, a translation of the Bible that actually reads like the intent of the gospel uh, and is translated correctly. And we need to, to just focus. Focus. Practice. You know, the presence. I was telling someone the other day, <clears throat> you know, a lot of times when I, I re- when I was really just getting established in these truths, you know, I had no choice but to get up every day and just, I mean, it was just like, you know, I'm just arguing with the accuser pretty much. He's, you know, he's saying da-da-da and I'm saying no. You know, I'm like, no, he was made to be sin. Who knew no sin? That I was made the righteousness of God. I am the righteousness of God. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. His, my righteousness is of him. This is the, the, the um, inheritance of, this is the heritage of the saints. His righteous, my righteousness is of him. There is no condemnation for them that are in Christ. There is no guilty verdict for them that are in Christ. I have been made righteous. I am not guilty. I am holy. I am blameless. I am in Christ. And I am perfect. I am complete in him. Not because of how I act, but because of Jesus' act. And I would just preach it to myself. And just speak it and speak it and speak it. And, you know, if there's days when my mind isn't right, you can bet I'm back on it, you know back on it with scripture. And I thank God for those scriptures because they're in my heart now because they had to be. I mean, again, remember the scripture, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. The word of God is a weapon. When Jesus was being assaulted by the enemy in the fourth chapter of Luke, and he, he was, you know, if you are the son of God, 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 you know, just the accuser just 
prove it, prove it, prove it, right? Jesus was just speaking the word. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Father. It is written, it is written, it is written, right? And you know what the enemy did? He left him for a little while for a more opportune time. Meaning that he, 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 you know, finally Jesus stands up and is like, get behind me, Satan. But he didn't just be get behind me, Satan, because he spoke the word of God. And so, you know, I encourage you. I mean, I know it's especially when you're getting established in these truths or especially when you're going through a hard time uh, in your relationship with yourself or you're trying to overcome a particular uh, situation. You know, it's, um, it's a powerful thing. I mean, when you speak it, the power of God is on it. You know, death and life are in the power of our tongue. And, and we are designed to be connected to God. And I can tell you, speaking God's word, saying what he said and it's not a religious exercise it's a it's a spiritual exercise and you're doing it because you want your identity to manifest you're wanting to get an agreement your you know your faith becomes effectual as you acknowledge all of the good things that are in you in christ jesus and if we spend as much time acknowledging the good things that are in us in Christ Jesus as we did acknowledging what is wrong with us, we would be a, in a whole different state of mind and probably an entirely different place in our life. Amen? Amen. How did it go? It is written. Man does not live by bread alone. Oh, I, uh, he was made to be sin. He knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. I don't even remember which last one I gave. The Philemon one? Um, our John 16 says, when the truth-giving spirit comes, he will unveil the reality of every truth within you. He won't speak his own message, but only what he hears from the Father. And he will reveal prophetically to you what is to come. He will glorify me on earth, for he will receive from me what is mine and reveal it to you. So that's John 16, 12 through 14. That's, that's uh, the passion. You know, and if you're going to start investing in the passion, I, I will tell you, I mean, they're all good, but I, I would really recommend you know, John. The, the book of John is phenomenal. And then the other ones it, that I would recommend, and man, put this on your Christmas list, is um, Letters from Heaven. Uh, Letters from Heaven is the uh, uh, Paul's uh, Paul's epistles, and they are just phenomenal. And they're all in one little letters Letters from Heaven. Uh, the other ones are, I mean, you know, how do you pick? But I would start with those two for sure. I almost can't get out of those two. Like I have all the other ones, but it's like I just stick, 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 stick with it because it's just so rich. So well, awesome. All right. Well, Father, I just thank you for um, everyone that's here tonight. I thank you for those that will be listening to the podcast. And I thank you that you are having them be here, having them listen to the podcast, because you are are strengthening them from the inside out. You are changing, transforming them by the renewing of their mind. And it starts with the way that they see themselves. It starts with how they are relating to themselves. You are, you are re, 
forming the foundation of their lives. You are, you're doing a foundational work in our hearts, God, because our lives cannot, we can't even begin to build a life on, on a wrong foundation. And, and Lord, I thank you that this is a revelation. I, I, I thank you that the Holy Spirit is going to continue to unpack these truths. And I just come against every lie, every hindrance, every uh, stronghold that uh, would keep them from understanding, Father. I just release a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. And I declare right now that every single person that is listening to this message, Father, that the eyes of their understanding are enlightened and they know the hope of their calling. I declare breakthrough. I declare light. I say, let the light shine. Shine so bright, Father, that that the darkness flees and that all that is left is a glorified them. (laughs) And I thank you that they are encountering themselves, Father. They're acknowledging the good things that that are in them in Christ Jesus. And with every acknowledgement, Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're making it real, whether that's an imagination that goes with it, whether that's a a confirmation of some other kind. I just thank you, Lord, that they're walking in a very, uh, it's a strategic, supernaturally orchestrated season where the old is falling off, like the scales on Paul's eyes. It's just falling away, Father. It's being just totally stripped. The old has already been stripped, and I thank you, Lord, that now it's getting stripped in their minds that they are just stripped of everything that is not like Jesus, that they have put on Christ, and that's the only thing they're wearing. (laughs) They're wearing Jesus. They're wearing Jesus. They're wearing Jesus. And I thank you, Father, that there's just something supernatural that's happening. Because, Lord, this is not a natural process. You know, it's a revelatory process. And so, Holy Spirit, you know how to lead and guide every person. And so we just release you. We release every person into that revelation. Every plant that the Heavenly Father has not planted, we just declare it's rooted up. And it's replaced, Father, at at a very strategic level, at a very subconscious level, Father. We just release that. We release everyone into this powerful move of God where they are manifesting the Christ within. They are manifesting sonship. In Jesus' name, amen.